Welcome to Coffee with Dr. Stewart. This show will provide our listeners with up-to-date medical information from a leading neurotologist and neuroimmune specialist. With Dr. Stewart's broad medical knowledge, we will discuss how he helps his patients with issues such as ADD, migraines, hormones, dizziness, sleep, fatigue, methylation, autism, and genetic mutations. I am your host, Kara Stewart-Mullins, and I invite you to sit back, grab your cup of coffee or favorite beverage, and let's have Coffee with Dr. Stewart. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Coffee with Dr. Stewart. I hope you're having a wonderful day as we are. I'm Kara Stewart-Mullins, your host, and thank you for joining us on episode six. We're going to be talking about sleep issues today. Huge issue. But first, I want to introduce... The man of the hour, Dr. Kendall Stewart. Hey. <laughs> the man of the half hour. <laughs> the man That's of the good. half hour. Much better. Much better. Thank you, Kara. How are you doing, Dr. Stewart? I'm doing great. Thank you. Did you have a good week? I did. Any challenging cases oh, out sure. there? Every day. Every day? Every day. You get kicked or spit on or anything sure. like that? <laughs> yeah. No, most, most of those patients are really loving. <clears throat> oh, gosh. I get hugged. I get a lot of kisses. Oh, we really hear want. about your praises all <laughs> the time. And I know, but those kids just are sweet. We had a really uh, sweet child send in a, your birthday um, video singing happy birthday to you and it was a child that was nonverbal, like what four years ago that's correct couldn't speak couldn't hardly function and now awesome. he's he's singing happy birthday to you and happy yeah. birthday dr kendall stewart that's well, praise what he god. said praise yeah, god that's awesome well we're gonna go ahead and, and jump right in because this is a huge topic mm-hmm. personally for myself i always say that on every show y'all must think i'm a complete mess because I guess I was I helped, thankful to, to my brother helping me out, you know, get through a lot of these conditions that I had in the past. But sleep is something I still struggle with from time to time. And um, you always give me your personal opinion and, you know, and, and kind of get me through some things. But, you know, they call it a, a public health ec- epidemic. Well, sure it is. I mean, you know, they estimate anywhere between 50 to 70 million adults have sleep or wakefulness disorder. So I want to talk about the sleep cycle and the wake cycle in this episode. Okay. Um, and then, you know, you're getting down to snoring and sleep apnea. And, you know, was this around back in the past? Or is this something that that um, I guess we need to be more and more concerned with? And then also the National Department of Transportation. And this is all coming from the Centers of Disease Control website. Right. That drowsy sleeping, I mean, drowsy driving is responsible for over 1,500 fatalities and 40,000 non-fatal fatalities. That's sad. And I've seen some people fall asleep at the wheel and coming at me, and you got to pull over to the side of the road. Right, right. So well, let's get to it. Okay, I first want to start with the actual, uh, your medical expertise, because you are a skull-based surgeon, brain surgeon. So tell us from a neurological perspective how the brain shuts down to sleep. Well, sleep is not a, um, a stable state, which means that what most people got to understand is that sleep processing going through all the stages of sleep is just the same as going through wakeful processing. Okay, okay there which are, I didn't even know about until I started reading. That's correct. So, you know, you got to understand that sleep is really more about quality than quantity. Okay. And it's about having enough time to get through the process and basically um, um, having the proper neurotransmitter potential in the brain, the proper balance in order for you to process through all those. I mean, God made all these stages of sleep, meaning REM sleep all the way through stage one, two, three, and four to accomplish different things at the brain level. Okay. And so most people uh, think of sleep as this, this magical state. It really is kind of a work, a work effort for the brain in order for it to actually reestablish itself and function properly. Or shut down. 
And our biggest problem that we have uh, um, probably in society is, one, we don't get enough sleep. Um, you know, I have to. What, what is enough sleep? Well, like, some people it's six hours, some people it's eight hours. It really has to do with body size more than anything. Okay. Meaning that the larger you are, the more sleep you will require. Or the more active you are. Yeah, well, it really doesn't have much to do with that. It really has to do with body size from everything we know, which means we need more repair time the larger physique you have. Okay. okay? Interesting. And so there are, there are formulas that we can use if we need to to kind of establish what is normal sleep patterns for whatever your body size is. What I will tell you in general is it's not really a problem with the amount of sleep in a lot of people. It's the quality of sleep, mm -hmm. the architecture of the sleep, not getting enough deep restorative sleep. Is that the REM? Stage? Well, there's a, well, no, actually REM's the lightest phase of sleep. Okay. Most people get that backwards. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's deep. It's stage four, which is the deepest stage of sleep. And that stage of sleep repairs our body, releases growth hormones, relaxes our bladder, relaxes our throat so we don't snore, and we really get into what would you what you would call a a um, quality restorative sleep. And how many hours of that whole sleep cycle? Is well, that? you bounce in and out of it, okay, meaning that you go through all these cycles and there's an appropriate time frame for each one. And that can be predicted on sleep studies where we can look at your brain by EEG and tell us. So uh -huh. if you're having a sleep disorders um, in general, I, I always recommend for most people that you do get a sleep study. Okay. And that sleep study will tell us essentially um, Basically, whether you're having problems with not breathing properly as in obstructive sleep apnea, which is actually on a huge increase, mm -hmm. mostly because uh, our population is gaining a lot more weight as a general Yeah, it said, you know, loss of sleep is really linked to heart disease and obesity. Sure, but we've also seen it's, it could be the other way around, too. Ah, interesting. <laughs> and then what we can also, uh, we know, but we also see obstructive apnea um, basically from sleeping styles. We don't tend to sleep on our stomach as much um, mm -hmm. these days. And there's a lot of cultures that actually sleep on their stomach. Is that I mean, the best position? The, well, the answer right? is uh, for for obstructive apnea, it probably is. But sleeping on your back um, is the worst position from most perspectives. And that just lets the jaw collapse back when you've, when you've gone to sleep and obstruct your airway and a lot of people. So I have even lots of skinny guys that, you know, have to have, have obstructive apnea. Now, once we get past opening the airway and things, we have to know that to go to sleep at the right time. One of the biggest mistakes that our society has done, in my opinion, is actually put a time on the time to go to bed. Okay. You really want to um, go to bed when you're sleeping. Okay. okay? And what, it, what that is, is that basically has to do with the initiation of the sleep cycle. Your body telling you. Your body telling you. Need you. To get and to so bed. most people will fight through that. And if you fight through that, it'll be another two hours before it'll enter that cycle. Yeah, like last night watching a football game on Thursday. That's not a good idea. If you get tired, go to sleep. <laughs> I didn't want to, and I was so tired, but I didn't want to miss any of the football games. So. Well, you know, the way God built it is we have an area of the brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, and that nucleus is a light sensor. And so we're really supposed to uh, orient our sleep cycles according to the sun okay so if the light goes down have you ever been out camping and you're sitting around the glow of a campfire the lights gone down you're all of a sudden you're exhausted tired and uh -huh. you, look, you look at your watch and it's eight o'clock the know? earliest i've ever been to bed in my life right and so <laughs> what that does is that tells us that that's when the body is supposed to initiate sleep and by missing that you throw off the whole cycle and there's a problem so we we, we essentially orient our sleep around time 
Okay. Meaning that I go to bed at 10 o'clock, you know, or I go to bed at 11. The whole idea is we really don't want to do that. We ought to be much more dynamic with it. We also want to prepare our brain for sleep. Well, a lot of people think, though, if you go to bed too early that you're going to wake up in the middle of the night because your body, you know, is only expecting those seven hours of sleep. That's not correct. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's what I always think. And I'm a clock watcher, too. I know you are. I worry about missing the alarm clock, you know. Right, and so that's really not the way we want to do it, and that's probably why we're we're running into so much trouble. We also have lights. Mm-hmm. Lights don't do us a whole lot of good, and, and then now we got tech, which really has made it bad because you can carry your light to bed with you and look yeah. at your phone and your computer yes. and everything else. And, and for our teenage kids, that's the worst thing ever. I mean, they'll stay up and text till 12, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. So you talk about that two hours, you revert back to Explain that again real quick. Say it again. Um, when you were talking about that if you see that light and it gets activated again, you go... Well, if you fight through your sleep time, basically. But that light never lets that trigger happen. If you're looking at a bright screen, mm-hmm. you essentially never get the trigger of the supercosmetic nucleus to start to shut you down. Okay. So you got to avoid lights to get yourself... You need to turn off your devices. You need to go to a quiet room, maybe read in a lower lower light okay. situation, and you'll, you'll, you'll sleep better. This is what I wanted. I want to give tips to people out there. Now, you know, sure. there's so much research and information out sure there, there on, is. on sleeping. Well, um, this is what we call sleep hygiene, okay? okay? Meaning, what do we need to do to initiate a proper sleep cycle? Make the room cool. Make it dark. That's correct. All those things. And you can read about all that on the internet. And those are just great tips. And I even saw on Yahoo the other day they were giving tips like that, which are which are very appropriate tips for the most part. Yeah. You know, you've got to give your brain time to wind down. Okay. Well, I wanted to talk to you real quick about insomnia mm-hmm. because I've suffered from that. What what? Why does that happen with people sometimes? Well, insomnia really is kind of a very similar state to anxiety, meaning that we've worn out our neurotransmitters. Okay. And um, basically, when is that we, due to a poor methylation process, it can be sure. And methylation is certainly associated with that because dopamine, uh, serotonin, uh, glutamic acid—all these neurotransmitters are affiliated with sleep and how we do it. A big problem that we talk about um, before we even get into the neurotransmitters and how they shut down to initiate it, you have to have a proper awake cycle too. Okay. So the problem with methylation, if you don't have proper dopamine and serotonin during the day, it's really hard to turn the trigger and then shut the brain down because it's got to be awake enough to be able to shut down appropriately. Interesting. And most people don't think about that. And really that study goes on with even steroids and other things and and the biorhythms that people talk about that are very important to how our body functions and well the one product that you know we have two products actually for dopamine the advanced neurotransmitter and then the full focus that just came out and that's supposed to help with dopamine turnover throughout the day correct and I notice a lot of people telling me though that they're sleeping much better sure they are even though because their dopamine explain that product because you know on the days I don't take it are the days I do not sleep very well well, dopamine and serotonin and GABA are involved in sleep, and so so if you have a much better processing and function, functioning during the day, and the brain is operating at a very uh, productive level, mm-hmm. then it's very easy for the brain to alter its biochemistry and shut the brain down into a normal sleep cycle. So, okay. So basically, you'll find out the better day you had, 
Typically, yes. the better night you'll have from a sleep perspective. Yeah, that is very true because I've had a couple rough days, but I ran out of my full focus. I, I just dinged into my head. Right. I was like, oh, man, because I didn't take it those days. Well, and also, you know, things like exercise and being active and doing things like that certainly help to stimulate the neurotransmitter load in the body. And that's why, why doing some exercise during the day and getting your body really uh, active doing lots of things can actually make the brain shut down and you sleep better after exercise. Okay. So basically you just got to think about not only the wakeful cycle, but also the sleep cycle and how they relate to each other. A lot of times a bad night's sleep has related to something you didn't do really. Or something you did, like had some alcohol or, well, yeah, or caffeine absolutely. right before bed. Or... Well, those types of things, but also the fact that you weren't very active, you didn't do much that day, you just sat on your butt. Well, we kind of all do that now well, sure in office jobs. And there are times to do that, but I'm telling you that little that little workout that Can you kind of do would really help. Just get your heart rate up and get that changes the neurotransmitters to the brain. You know, there are people that are actually addicted to exercise. Those are those people that we all wish we, we could be wish like. Wish we could be like. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe not. <laughs> well, when we get back from break, let's talk about the wake cycle because I find this interesting and I want to talk a little bit more about sleep studies. Sure. Um, I want to tell you about what I found out on mine. So sure. we'll be right back with Coffee with Dr. Stewart. Do you have trouble with nervousness, trouble relaxing, or turning your brain off at night to fall asleep? Then we may have a natural solution just for you. Calming Cream from Neurobiologics, created by a leading neurosurgeon, provides five essential ingredients to help relax the neurotransmitters of the brain. Who wouldn't want to relax or wind down with a great-smelling lotion? Visit neurobiologics.com or coffeewithdrstewart.com for details. Neurobiologics, we are changing lives one formula at a time. Well, welcome back, everyone, to Coffee with Dr. Stewart. We are talking about sleep issues, the wake cycle, the sleep cycle, and everything else about it. You know, Dr. Stewart, um, during break, you and I kind of got on the topic about naps. Yeah. Of course, everybody loves a nap, especially on Thanksgiving when you just got a big full belly. But um, naps can kind of hurt you in some ways. Well, they can help and they can hurt, just depending. Most of the time... um, what you're really doing with the nap is the intent of it is just to get a, a subtle recharge. So timing is really important. So less. Uh, yeah. So, you know, you've heard about these power naps can, mm-hmm. can be really beneficial when you get anywhere between a 20 and maybe up to 45 minutes to an hour. You can actually uh, be refreshed and go on. But if you sleep longer than typically an hour, for sure you're going to then get into a problem where your brain has started into the sleep processing cycle and you're not going to feel right the rest of the day. And how how do you how does that affect your day or affect your sleep at night? Well then if your brain actually partially shut down and then got reawoken and it didn't work out right, shutting your brain back down that night is a big problem. Cuz you're only supposed to do it once a day. That's correct because you know really there, there, I mean, there's just so many factors in sleep that we still don't understand. I mean, weather plays a big role. Barometric pressure plays a big role. Uh, how much sunshine plays a big role. And, you know, the whole idea is that our brain has all these sensors and it's built in a certain biorhythm, you know, just like animals. You yeah. know, if you go, if you're, if you're a hunter, you know that actually deer are active. At night. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, in the morning. at night. But, yeah, at, active at night, so they come out late in the evening, and they're active all night, and they go in early in the morning. So they have a biorhythm that's completely opposite of okay. ours. So the whole idea is we have these 
these biorhythmic cycles that our body is actually in tune to. And our biggest problem these days is we just don't stick to them. Yeah, I always hear everybody going, gosh, I took an afternoon nap and I feel horrible. That's me because right. I'll sleep for like two hours. Yeah, but two hours is just too long. It's too long. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, and you hear about the Chinese culture, how, and even the, the siesta in Mexico, you know, sure. the 30-minute siesta. Sure. You know, I would love that here in the U.S., actually. Well, I do too, you know. <laughs> my wife doesn't like me laying down, but I'm going to a lot of times. <laughs> You know, Let but, me get my nap in, Jerry. But, you know, that's also, that's also you know, person-specific, and it basically it's probably genetically specific as to yeah. what neurotransmitters we have and how we function. But the whole idea is uh, what I would recommend typically is you get that 20 to 40-minute nap if you're going to take one and don't go past that. The power nap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we could use that a lot today. Well, let's get into a little bit about hormones because yep. I know that this plays a huge role in sleep, too. Well, sure it does, and especially in women. Yeah. Um, What we know about hormones in general in women, um, typically progesterone plays the biggest role in women. Progesterone is what we call a GABA modulator. Okay. And GABA is the sleep initiator, which means it, it it helps our brain shut down initially into primary sleep. And so that's why a lot of people are stuck taking uh, Valium and other things, trying to initiate the GABAergic response. So what I will tell you is that um, we know that as women typically age and lose their progesterone, they get into more trouble initiating and sleeping quality. Is that, again, why Pregnenolone is such a popular product? It is such a popular product. We have a cream progesterone cream, Progress 20. So if you can make more progesterone, or you have more progesterone, you're going to get into a better sleep initiation. So, so for an older woman, like say over 45 or 40, adding those two products, would that help? Would certainly help. And then women who are into menopause, a lot of times will have to come in with progesterone itself. And it can be almost a magical thing. Really? I mean, because it makes the brain work better during the day, and then it makes it shut down better at night. So, actually, so that cream that we have, just a, once a day, that can, would be plenty. Can really help that. And, you know, a lot of times... Progesterone, uh, when we add it with pregnenolone, a lot of times will just make the body much more content. Okay. Will make things work better. But, of course, you got to pay attention to methylation and all those types of things. Now, too. you talked in another episode, or maybe it was this one, about pregnenolone you know, supporting testosterone. Sure. So do men get into trouble with testosterone? With Does that support sleep at Absolutely. All? Men, everything in a man is about testosterone. So I tell, pregnenolone is safe for men, too? Oh, yeah. Well, pregnenolone is what God uses to make all of our steroids. In a human. Right. And so basically, um, the way the pathway works is we make progesterone, DHEA, testosterone, and then estrogen. So women take and make their estrogen through testosterone. Ah. Okay. It's just that women convert that testosterone very quickly into estrogen. Okay. And so what we really know is that men, uh, testosterone is really not about muscles and libido for men. It really is about mental focus, mental function, mental uh, hormonal health, immune health, um, overall health in men. There's receptors for testosterone in almost every cell in a man's body. And so it's the same with progesterone for women. Okay. Now, we also got to understand that the brain works during sleep. And so progesterone and testosterone are basically anabolic modulators. They tell the cell to have plenty of energy in the mitochondria. And so as the mitochondria works better, our brain is one of those organs that works 24-7, whether mm-hmm. we want it to or not. And so if we have bad batteries or batteries that are not stimulated to be productive enough, uh, we really will suffer on every category. And when you talk about batteries, you're talking about mitochondria. Mitochondria, correct. Yeah. 
another popular product in our line. <laughs> everything's kind of clicking. It's like a little well, box, you know. Everything's important. I mean, God wouldn't have made it that way if it wasn't important. Well, let's talk a little bit about, you know, I was, I was reading um, from a sleep study report that undiagnosed sleep apnea, which explain to us what sleep apnea is. Well, proper sleep apnea is actually um, a blockade of the airway uh, during sleep, where you essentially have somebody who snores or actually has apneic events where basically they can't get a breath and it they actually arouses them. And that just has to do with airway obstruction. So the proper ways to actually deal with that usually is actually, my favorite way actually is initially to start with a um, uh, a dental appliance to kind of bring the jaw forward okay. and open it up. Most people start directly with a CPAP, which I'm not really in favor of doing. I, I like to start with an oral appliance. To well, I bless my husband for wearing his nightly right now. Yeah, correct. <laughs> and so, well, you mean CPAP? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, you what you've got to understand is that that CPAP is forcing air down the throat. Yes. And if you wear a dental appliance with the CPAP, it's going to work a lot better and you won't need as much air pressure. Oh, interesting. So everybody gets that kind of confused and the dentists scratch their head and don't understand why everybody doesn't understand that but it really is an anatomical problem so you're saying start with the the dental piece first that's correct okay there's all kinds of new fancy ways to deal with it too there are now in surgical devices to actually tighten the throat that are implantable okay there's all kinds of losing weight in general losing weight helps a whole lot but a lot of times that's sleeping position too you know sleeping position is very important to how you the quality of your sleep so how would sleep apnea um, lead to adhd or add well Poor sleep means that the brain doesn't replenish its supply of dopamine and all its neurotransmitters. Mm -hmm. Because really what that is, you're giving the brain a little bit of a break to actually reaccumulate its neurotransmitters. And that's the easiest way to understand it. Uh, we really don't understand all the physiologic effects that go on in the brain from, from sleep. But we do know that it's a necessary element. Everybody knows you can't stay oh, yeah. up forever. And basically what happens is if you're not sleeping quality and you got interrupted sleep and you never enter that deep stage sleep, you don't make growth hormone, which delivers nutrition properly to cells. You can't reproduce your neurotransmitters. You get into a fatigue state and there's just all kinds of havoc that gets ruled you know, on the body. And so... Um, and then if you throw in a methylation deficiency, which a lot of these people have, you then have a really big problem keeping up and they'll wind up with horrible ADD and anxiety and Because they're not sleeping properly. Sure, absolutely. You know, just again to reiterate, if you don't know the term methylation, that's episode two. And it's we're going to be talking about it in every episode. So it's really important to understand that. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what can you recommend for, I mean, we talked about what you can do like inside your room and things like that, but mm -hmm. from a personal standpoint, you know, it would nutrition wise, because you know, this kind of is a nutrition show in, in itself. What can someone do? We talked about pregnenolone and progesterone for women. Right. So from a hormone standpoint, you want to make your hormones work well. You want to have your thyroid in pretty good shape. That will help you so quite get that a bit. Check. Sure. Now, from a nutrition standpoint, you want to you want to try to eat at the right time. You want to try to eat the right things. You and when you say the right time, do you mean like don't eat a big meal before bed? Typically not. That really doesn't work well. And now a lot of people are actually binge eaters where they tend to try to use the insulin response to put them to sleep. So they'll eat a lot of sweets. 
hmm. or something that's sweet in order to drive insulin, which then tends to make you sleepy, kind of like after that big Thanksgiving meal. Ah. So some people do that. Um, what you really want to do is eat pretty early. Um, you know, when meaning, you say early, what time? Well, you know, it depends on the person's schedule, but I would say around an appropriate dinner time, you know, 6, six 7, o'clock. something like that. And you really want to um, avoid um, anything at night that would stimulate you. Now, the biggest issue is actually glutamates, glutamic acid. Glutamic acid is a neurotransmitter that actually is a stimulant. It basically wakes the brain up. And where do you find well, that? Well, you can find that in certain foods. You can find it in chips. You can find it in snack products because All the stuff we like MSG, to snack you've on. heard of MSG? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's, glu- that's monosodium glutamate. Okay. Okay, so anything that has MSG, we love to stack on those things because not only does it quench our snack potential, but they got a little kicker in there. Yeah. You know, so you so want to avoid... So stimulates you, so therefore it's going to interrupt your sleep. Correct. Or get you getting to sleep. That's correct. You know, and you want to avoid sugary drinks and things like that, you know. Well, let's say you have to have some, you're used to snacking around nine. What would you recommend? You know, I'd probably recommend something that's a little more complex carbohydrate, you know, maybe a a little. piece of fruit or something? A little fruit, a little oatmeal, something like that. Don't go open a bag of Oreos. Yeah, a lot of people and do that. And a big that. glass of milk. <laughs> you know, or a Dr. Pepper or yeah. a Coke, you know, or even a diet Dr. Pepper. I mean, people do that kind of stuff all the time. Yeah, yeah. So it really is just you want to you want to eat. Um, and it's really hard to find snacks in our society that are really appropriate for that. I have a big question for you because I cannot get the people that can drink a cup of coffee and go right to sleep. What, well, is that an adrenal fatigue issue? What is that? Not really. That's that has to be. That's a genetic issue. See, I'm one of, I'm one of those people. Really, you yeah, can drink it because sure. if I drink anything after 3 p.m. with caffeine, I'm right. up. And there, there's actually basically some genes that actually code our sensitivity to caffeine. Caffeine's related to a neurotransmitter in the brain called adenosine. Okay. And adenosine essentially is regulated by a certain set of genes, and there are people that actually coffee, like myself, can actually make me sleep easier. Well, you always heard that it was related to adrenal fatigue. Is that not true? It's not necessarily true. It has to do with how the adenosine works in your body. Okay. Okay. And so it has to do with... I, it actually, in some people, a little bit of caffeine, which because people who do that don't just drink caffeine at bedtime. They drink caffeine all, all through day. the day. Yeah. So it can be associated, I guess, because you want to keep your body driving, but it's not causing it. So the whole idea is there are just different people are different. God made everybody different. And some people, there are, I just read that there are eight different genes that are linked to caffeine use. And, really? I, mm-hmm. And so we can actually predict who will probably like caffeine and who won't who should stay away from it so you know there's all kinds of things for us to learn but basically i just tell people that pay attention to your sleep hygiene pay attention to your environment shut the daggum devices off yeah you know <laughs> that's hard you know wind yourself down get some music you can actually get some music with beta waves you know mm-hmm. go to amazon and put music with brain waves and put I some use the white noise machine put some beta wave music on that'll help you kind of wind down and that'll just that'll you know, make it a whole lot better for you. But that's hard. That's a lifestyle change. Yeah, it is a big lifestyle change. And, you know, I, I do my best, but it's hard. I know. It's so hard, you know, and you want to entertain your little one until it's be- their bedtime because they don't know what to do with themselves. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, Dr. Stewart, again, thank you so much. Um, I, I learned a few things about sleep today, so I hope you guys did too. And uh, I hope you can join us next week. Next week, our topic is going to be on 
dizziness and vertigo, which Dr. Ah, Stewart is a good topic. Is a big expert on. He's uh, been doing that. Uh, he was once called the dizzy doctor because doctors a lot of times don't know what to do with these dizzy patients. And uh, we're going to talk to him and, and get his medical expertise um, on the thousands of patients he's treated with dizziness and vertigo. So I hope you have a beautiful, beautiful Sunday. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. And you can reach us at Coffee with Dr. Stewart or you can call Neurobiologics. And have a blessed and wonderful day, everybody. The views expressed by show hosts or their guests are their own and shall not be construed in any way as advice in place of your own medical practitioners. We encourage you to seek professional advice or care for any problem which you may have.